Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to our friends at uh, Westside and all of you who are watching online and apparently through the podcast later. So, yeah, welcome everyone. Yeah, as, as Viv said, we're um, in week two of our series based on the eyewitness testimonies in the Gospels. And I think the idea is that we look at the life of Jesus and go along with him in those journeys through the wilderness, through the villages, on his way to the cross. Because the scripture tells us that Jesus set his face as a flint to the cross, but there was so many um, encounters that he had with real people along the way in which he restored and healed and and um, reconciled uh, along the way. So that's the idea, and I love that. I just love the Gospels. I love those encounters with Jesus. And um, yeah, we're just going to be focusing on that. And, and then, of course, you know, how that can affect our lives, you know, in turn. <clears throat> God's Word is faithful, and, and, um, and He will change us, you know, as we just read these stories, but also just explore them in a deeper way. So, yeah, so this week we're spending a little bit of time in John chapter 4, and we're looking at the story of um, Jesus' conversation with uh, the Samaritan woman um, at the well. And, you know, I'd, I'd really like us, you know, to kind of imagine ourselves um, there by the well with Jesus in the story, immerse ourselves in the story like an eyewitness. And let's, let's just see how Jesus loves. Let's see how Jesus heals. Let's see how he speaks truth um, in this story. So um, I'm going to have Emily come up. Emily's going to come up and just read the passage for me. So thank you, Emily. So this is uh, John chapter 4, verses uh, 1 to 29. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, 
everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the woman you now have and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? So, wonderful. Um, yeah, so, I, I guess I have to really uh, have a confession to make that I found this really tough. This really tough to kind of look at this story um, and, to, and to present it to you from the perspective of a middle-aged white man living in the West, you know, because what do I really understand about the experiences of a Middle Eastern woman in the first century? Really, what do I really know? And, and yet, actually, the process of, of just immersing myself in this story and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me has actually done me a lot of good. You know, I think it's... I think the Word of God has changed me, so I'm preaching as much to myself this morning as I, as I am to you, so I've received an awful lot. And one thing that I've realized is that, you know, we live in a world where truth is so very often distorted and lost, and women are especially vulnerable uh, to false perceptions of who they are and how they should act and what they should do. And um, I think the story of the Samaritan woman reveals um, the importance of truth and revelation and recognizing the gold and drawing out that, uh, the authentic identity of, of women. And um, so I have a, a new appreciation for women. I've always appreciated women. But it's, it's gone deeper, I think, you know, through, through uh, looking at this story. And um, so, uh, you know, I think her story can be an encouragement to women, but I think to all of us um, as we develop our own relationship with Jesus and to testify to the truth revealed through that relationship with him. And um, Jesus shows up in this woman's world. 
And he shows her a new way and gives her um, direction um, and a new identity. And, and essentially, she becomes the first evangelist um, in the Gospels as she goes back and tells others of what Jesus has done for her. And that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? But I think to understand this encounter between Jesus and this woman better, I think we, it would be really helpful to, for us to look a bit at the context of the story, a little bit of background. So this is very general, and I'm not giving any dates or anything, but basically after Solomon, let's just say that. After Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there was the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, Judah houses Jerusalem, which of course is significant to Jews now, and it was significant to them at the time. And the northern kingdom is then invaded by the Assyrians, and eventually the Assyrians intermarry with the Jewish people in the northern kingdom, and that's where the Samaritans come from. That's in a nutshell, really. Um, so, so then what you have is this mixed race of people that are half Jewish and half Samaritan. And yes, they're, they're still Jewish in a sense, but they've fallen away from the kind of pure Jewish faith, and they blended with the Assyrians. So, so that the Jews consider them really to be traitors, um, because they don't worship God properly or in the right place, Jerusalem. So you can imagine there's a lot of hatred, bitterness, prejudice, racism, I've got to say, of this people, the Samaritans, by the Jews. So when Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter 4, they have had hundreds of years of issues between one another. So, so that's, that's the context of Jesus' journey there. You know, the cultural connotations that Jesus is stepping into by journeying through uh, that part of the country and speaking to this woman is absolutely huge. Um, but Jesus goes there. And that's the point. Jesus goes there. He sees the significance of, of going um, to this place, uh, Samaria. And we have a God who goes there, who doesn't take, you know, the easy way in, in our lives. But he goes to the messy, he goes to the complicated, he goes to the place of bitterness and prejudice and racism. God goes there. You know, and, and the conviction really is that we need to be asking him, who do you want me to go to? Now, who are the people? Where, where are those places that I should be going to, God? Because we need to go there. Where, where is our Samaria, as it were? Because, you know, we need to be going there. We need to be asking God, and we need to be going there. And, um, you know, this isn't the first time that Jesus, uh, that we read of Jesus going to Samaria in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is planning to go to Samaria, and it says there in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, 
Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And so we see there Jesus is uh, wanting to go into this Samaritan village. He's wanting to go into Samaria. Um, but the people there in the village make it crystal clear that he's not welcome. And so they're rejecting Jesus at this time. I can't think of anything worse than to not make Jesus feel welcomed. He's unwelcomed in this village. But you know what? Jesus doesn't give up. And so we come to John chapter 4. In verse 3 it says, So he left Judea and went back once more to to Galilee. And it says there in verse 4, Now he had to go through Samaria. Well, the thing is that he didn't have to go through Samaria. Um, we've got, I've got a map I found. I don't know if you can see that. But um, actually, there are two ways um, to, to go, to get from Judea to, to Galilee. Um, one takes you up through the Jordan Valley, which is soft and flat and is actually a nice way to travel. And the other takes you through Samaria. It's rocky. It's mountainous. And that's the way Jesus decided to go. So if that's the case, then what does it mean that in verse 4 where he says that he had to go through Samaria? Well, I don't know what the theologians think, but I, I think in saying that, Jesus was being very intentional Jesus was being very intentional. He chose the road less traveled. He chose to go through that messy, complicated, cultural area of Samaria. But also, the the terrain was really rough. But that's the way that he decided to travel. So Jesus had a plan. He had a purpose. And his plan and his purpose, I believe absolutely in the the singularity of Jesus in meeting with this woman. His plan was to have this encounter with this woman. That was in his purposes. And looking deeper, we learn that in this part of Samaria, there was some really terrible things that happened. Terrible history of sexual abuse. It's here that Dinah, the daughter of Jacob by Leah, was abducted and raped near the city of Shechem, by Shechem, the son of Hamar. Human trafficking happened in this region. It's the place where Joseph was sold into slavery. It's a place of a massacre where in Judges chapter 9, Abimelech, the son of one of the sons of Gideon, had 70 of his brothers murdered. So this area is not only a place that the Jewish people despise, but it's, it's a cursed area of rape and murder, of human, human trafficking, of social unrest. But this is where Jesus goes. Wow. And we, you know, we can think of many scenarios like this 
of places and peoples and cultures and rivals. Places in our own city where it's too dangerous to go. You know, we'll, we'll say to one another, oh, you know, I wouldn't go to that area. I wouldn't walk through that area at night. You know, I worked um, for about three and a half years on the Winstanley Estate, right where um, our, our Battersea site is. And um, for three years, I did um, evangelism from door to door in that area. And I wouldn't walk through there at night. And I would advise other people not to walk through there at night. But praise God, isn't it amazing how there's not just one amazing church there, our church, but there's also St. Peter's also, that God is doing something amazing. And, and we welcome that. But that's the places where we go. Jesus goes there. And so Samaritans are considered the lowest of the low. Um, but who else is low in their estimation? Women, right? They were the property of their fathers or their husbands. They had no right. And if they were divorced, they didn't get to keep their children. They didn't have the right to divorce. They couldn't bring uh, a, a petition for divorce. And as Jesus points out to this woman that she had had five husbands... Well, that wasn't her fault. Somehow we think that somehow um, this woman was deep in some kind of sin. But it wasn't her fault. It wasn't her sin. And isn't it amazing that, you know, when we come to Jesus and we receive salvation from him, not only does he forgive us and forgive us of our sin, but he also heals the sin that has been committed against us. Isn't that wonderful? And Jesus is doing, going through with this woman this healing process. So she was divorced. Five men either divorced her or perhaps she was a widow. I, we don't know. But it wasn't her fault. And so for women, their, their well-being, their existence was dependent upon a man. You know, women were considered during this time to be untrustworthy, easily deceived, and women could not give testimony in court. Their testimony wouldn't stand. Their opinion, their testimony would be invalid. So to be a Samaritan woman would be even worse. But Jesus goes against those cultural norms. And we need to be careful as Christians. And I'm not speaking to necessarily our church, but as Christians, we need to be careful because we sometimes misunderstand the Bible. And we think that it's not for women. There's parts there that are not for women. Now, they are less than or not as important as or not as good as men. But that's not God's opinion. If you're here this morning and maybe you're feeling that way, Maybe you're feeling that you're undeserving of Jesus and your place in the church, in the body. Well, know this, that you are, that you're, that you're called in, that you're invited in, you're invited to the table. And I want to affirm that in, 
everyone, but particular women, women this morning as a man. And so this story is about a woman who meets a man in a seemingly chance encounter, and in a few brief minutes, her life has changed forever. And um, it should be noted that this is the longest conversation that Jesus has ever had with anyone in the Gospels. And that includes his disciples, the men disciples that were, that is. And so there, there are four things I think Jesus wants us to learn from this woman's encounter with him by this well. And the first one is um, the Samaritan woman planned her day to avoid her deepest pains. And yet Jesus meets with her here. In verse 4, it says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus was tired from his journey, sat beside the well, and it was noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? This woman, Samaritan woman, found herself drinking at the well with no one less than the Savior of the world. She came to this well on purpose at this hour. It was a desert town, and it was the heat of the day. It wasn't the time to be coming and filling your water jars with water and carrying them, but she did. And the truth is that she had planned her day to escape the pain of her shame. She planned her day to avoid running into other people of the village. Why? Because she was an outcast. For whatever reason, she was a widow or she was a divorcee. And it was there that Jesus found her. He found her in her shame. And she, she was utterly lost in her sea of brokenness, most likely living under the assumption that there's just no fix for me. She was too far gone in her own estimation. But rather than confront, confronting her reality, she'd planned her life in such a way to enable her to stay away, to stay away from others. She wasn't happy, but she felt safe somehow in that isolation. And yet Jesus was there. He's sitting by the well, and he's asking for a drink from her. Jesus, the Savior of the world, asks an outcast to help him. And, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way. Um, you know, I've been working with homeless people and prisoners pretty much my whole, uh, almost my entire adult life for over 30 years. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've met prisoners in prison who have said to me, you know what, Rob, I deserve to be here. This is part of God's plan for me. Or this is God's punishment for me, for the life that I've led. And I'm living with the consequences of it. 
or I've spoken to homeless men and women who've, who've resigned themselves to their lot. They've given up trying to change because they have a gambling addiction or a drug addiction or, or they're an alcoholic. And they'll say to me, Rob, there's, there's no chance for me. They feel undeserving of God's love and God's grace. But you know, in God's eyes, no one is too far gone. Hallelujah. And no one is, is unpurposed in God. All of us were created for a purpose. And the question really then is for us is, are we willing to engage with him? Are we willing to let him go into those places of pain and shame? Uh, have you ever been in the situation, I'm sure you have, where you've invited someone over for dinner and you're happy for them to go into some rooms of your home because you've tidied up those rooms. But there are other rooms where you shut the door because it's just, it's just too messy for them to go into. We do that with Jesus sometimes, don't we? Jesus, we welcome you in, but Lord, don't go to those places. They're just too messy. And yet Jesus is like, it's okay, let me in. He doesn't mind the mess. And yet he, he doesn't burst through the door and say, oh. He actually says, you come with me. You come with me. You open the door. You lead me in. Let's look at the mess together and let's see what we can do about it. He's wonderful like that. And then second, secondly, um, she stayed with Jesus and Jesus was unfazed by her sin. Jesus came to bring her comfort. And, and you know what, I think if I were her, if I were in that situation with a history like hers, I would have turned around the second I saw this man sitting by the well. I'm not sure I would have engaged with, with Jesus, but she not only shows up, but she also stays and she speaks with him. She was curious. She was curious to know more about this man. And so she asks him three questions. How can you ask me for a drink? Where can you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? Verses 9 to 12, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from, of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. You know, it would have been easy for her to just, just up and leave, but she didn't. To be so overwhelmed by her struggles to even try, to sit in her pain and, and not even try to understand them. But she doesn't run. She doesn't go. But she pursues Jesus with those questions. She presses in in her encounter with Jesus. 
She was curious about his promises. And Jesus didn't back away, no matter how deep her sin ran. And, you know, this morning he's here to do the same for us. He doesn't see how deep, or he chooses not to see how deep our sin runs. He, He wants to see our hearts. He wants to know our hearts this morning. He sees our purpose, and he sees uh, the beauty in which he created us. And when we try to run away from him, he pursues us in love. So, what would happen if we just sat for a while with Jesus? What would happen if we just stayed, sat there? Everything in our being is saying, no, run. Get away, it's Jesus. My shame is too deep, but what would happen if we just sat in his presence? If we come a little closer and ask those searching questions to Jesus ourselves? What would happen if we stayed and were filled? And thirdly, Jesus, she received his feeling, his filling, the filling of Jesus. Jesus offers her living water. And she stayed with Jesus, and she's, she's open to the change that he could bring. And maybe even more importantly, Jesus stays, and he showed her that he was the one that she's been looking for. He's the only one who could satisfy her thirst. That cry of her heart, that unmet expectation, that anxiety that sun, sat underneath the surface that stirred her heart, and that thirst that could never be quenched, all changes in an instant. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become to him like a spring welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come and draw water. Jesus offers us truth. He he offers us filling in a place where we will never thirst again. And so the question this morning is, will we receive it? Well, we know the giving is a guarantee. The giving of God is a guarantee because it comes from a generous God. But the receiving is up to us. Receiving can be hard sometimes, especially when we believe that we've gone too far. But maybe, maybe this morning you're struggling to receive that living water. But you know what? We're designed to crave living water. We're designed to, to have a longing that drives us back to the only one that can satisfy us. It's the filling of the living water that gives us the longing to go out also and to go and share the good news with others. And lastly, fourthly, she desired to go and do. As she received the living water that Jesus offers, and so she was compelled by the love of Jesus to go and share with her fellow villagers 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see the man who told me all that I had ever done. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus, it goes on to say. When the woman believed, she immediately ran off to tell her friends. Jesus not only filled her longing, but he gave her a new desire to go out and share the good news, to go out and make other disciples. And that's what happens. You know, we're compelled by the love of Jesus as we are filled to share what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers. 